So we've been in Nehemiah for a number of weeks now. And as we have seen, just as God promised, the children of Judah had been exiled to Babylon because of their sin. And that entails a lot, but it in part had to do with them not giving the land its Sabbath rest. So they were taken out of the land for 70 years. Yet now the children of Israel were back in the land of Judah. It had actually been 142 years since the primary deportation that occurred in 586 B.C. and Jerusalem had been destroyed since that had taken place. It had been 93 years since Zerubbabel had led the first group back to rebuild the temple. And he can, while he was alive, most of that was completed. It had been 14 years since Ezra had led a smaller group back to, in part, reestablish the law. Nehemiah had led that final group back in 444 B.C. and led the rebuilding of the walls, the walls of Jerusalem, and the gates rebuilt and put up. The enemies had failed to stop the construction. They had fought hard, used various tactics, but they had failed. The people of God had seen the hand of God in rebuilding the walls. And even the enemies, the enemies of Jerusalem, of the people of Judah, recognized that God was the one that accomplished the work. And we read in chapter 6, verse 16, talking about the enemies, for they perceived that this work was done by God. God was the one that accomplished it. Only God could explain the fact that the walls were rebuilt. And as we will see today, the children of Judah were a people prepared to now receive the word of God. So let me ask you this morning, are we a people this morning ready to receive the words of the living God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, God, that you spoke. We have your spoken word this morning. It's so easy for us to take it for granted. To overlook the truths of Scripture. To not give it our full and undivided attention. But God, this morning... May you work in our hearts by the power of your spirit that your people would receive your word. And I pray for anyone that doesn't know you, God, that you will draw that person, drag that person to you. God, thank you for your irresistible grace. We give you praise this morning for who you are, God. For you are indeed worthy of our worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice, first of all, as we look back to the last chapter, this last part of that 73rd verse, the secure condition of the Jews. In verse 73, And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. So not only were the people in the city of Jerusalem, the people were in their cities. The walls had been rebuilt. The people were now secure. 
the security of Jerusalem actually provided security to the surrounding Jewish people. The enemies no longer had the same abilities to take advantage of them, to manipulate them economically, socially, culturally, or spiritually. The people were in their cities and the people were secure. It was a time in which the people of Judah were experiencing the blessings of God unlike they had in previous days and during the time that they were in exile. Notice the seventh month came. The seventh month was Tishrei. And it went from sometime in September, usually about middle of September through mid-October, based on the lunar calendar. Now, while it's the seventh month in the Hebrew uh, ecclesiastical calendar, it was actually considered the first month in the Hebrew civil calendar. So the word Tishra, speaking of the seventh month, means to begin because they saw it as the civil beginning of the year. Notice the people's unified request in verse 1 of chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Notice the people gathered as one man. They were in unity. They gathered as one people with one voice, with one request. And that request was, they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law, which the Lord had given to Israel. To bring the book of the law, the law of Moses, Ezra had returned in five, excuse me, 458 BC, about 14 years before Nehemiah returned from exile. This is the first time now, although Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book, but as far as Nehemiah is concerned, what we have today is Nehemiah. This is the first time Ezra is actually mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. But Ezra had been faithfully serving the Lord. Even though it doesn't mention him, Ezra was a spiritual leader, a scribe, and as we will see, also a priest. And some documents tell us, some writings, that he was actually a high priest. We know he was a man of the word. Because Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 tells us, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his God's statutes, and ordinances in Israel. Ezra had been faithfully studying the word, living the word, and teaching the word. And the fruits of his labor was about to become evident. So here's the question for us. If someone asks you or me to teach them the word of God, are you like Ezra? Are you ready to do so? Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. The people asked Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. The people had been faithful to rebuild the walls to raise the walls up out of the dust and burnt stones. They had worked hard. They had 
persevered. They were back in the land. The temple had been rebuilt as well. Jerusalem is now secure. God had been faithful. God had kept his promises that he would return them back to the land. And now it was time to hear from the law of Moses. Back to the word. To hear the Mosaic covenant and be blessed by the Lord. And so they gathered as one man with one voice. Calling for Ezra to read the law to them. Notice verse 1 again. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Which the Lord had given to Israel. The word given here in the Hebrew is actually commanded. God had commanded to Israel. This was the book of the law of Moses that God had commanded the nation of Israel. It was God's law. This is certainly referring to the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Notice the, that seventh month, Tishrei, begins with the word of God, verse 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. This was an assembly of men and of women and all who had the ability to listen, to understand. It even included children. And we know that from Old Testament texts as well, back in the Pentateuch. It's important that children hear the word of God to see mom and dad and brother and sister all together feasting on God's word. Worship is a family gathering, both at home and in the church. The word of God may take, must take significant, a significant place in the life of every believer. And we see this concept here in Matthew 4, 4. When Jesus was being tempted, he quoted, it, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. As it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yes, we need our daily food, our daily bread. But how much more do we need the word of God? God says, and we looked at this some time back, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. They were attentive to the word. Look at verse 3. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. In the midst, in the, excuse me, in the presence of men, and women, and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They assembled in the square in front of the water gate. The water gates was on the east side of the city, giving access to Gihon, that spring in the valley below. Notice the scriptures were read from early morning till midday. I don't think this was anything really new for the Jewish people. They were people that historically were people of the word. Now, we know that didn't always, you know, lead to faith. But 
for some that it did. Historically, Jewish life was centered around the scriptures. It seems that they had long attention spans. That comes from a habit. It's something, it's like a learned discipline. It doesn't just happen naturally. And it seems today that our attention spans have become shorter and shorter due to the predominance of entertainment, even in our churches sometimes. But we need to be disciplined. From early morning, I checked to see what time the sunrise is in Jerusalem about that time of the year. And it comes about 6.30. So from about 6.30 to noon, about five and a half hours, the word of God was read. Read to men and women and those who were old enough to understand. All the people were attentive to the book of the law. The word of God is important. It demands our undivided attention. Just as Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is theonosis. I can't even get it out this morning. Inspired. God breathed. God spoke. As we've been talking to the young people about God spoke, it's inspired by God and it's profitable for, and this may be a little bit simplistic, but for doctrine or teaching, that's right doctrine, correct doctrine. Reproof is correcting wrong thinking. Correction is correcting wrong living and instruction and righteousness It's teaching right living. And see, there's a connection between what we believe and how we live. If we're not living right, we have a belief problem. Somehow, that relates to a heart problem. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See, God's word is sufficient. It's adequate. And it points us, as we talked about last week, or two weeks ago, it points us to Christ. It points us to God. The word of God here is elevated. Look at verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. So this was something that was planned. Notice and beside him stood uh, Mephathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, uh, Maaseah, on his right hand, and Padeah, Mishaiah, Micaiah, Hashem, Hashbadonai, Zechariah, these are difficult, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra stood on a wooden podium, or a platform, in other words. It was an elevated stage. Now, this is not to promote or elevate Ezra, I don't think. It certainly gave the ability to project the word of God to the people, and that's why we do this today in churches. In part, though, it possibly demonstrated, possibly the elevated position of the word of God, it demands our respect. It had to be a large platform because it had to accommodate 14 men in total. 
and it had to be prepared in, a, in advance. This is, wasn't something that could be constructed that very day. Or it had to, this is something that they planned for, and you're going to see why in a few moments. Notice also Ezra has 13 men assembled with Ezra who were likely priests. Sharing, we believe, in the reading responsibilities here. I mean, think about it. Think about Ezra reading for five and a half hours and then probably teaching coming after that. The entire uh, Torah takes about 14 hours to read. So they couldn't even read the whole thing. They had to read select or key sections of the law. But notice the respect for the word here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Demonstrating respect and fear of the Lord. Now, this isn't to say that if a church doesn't have everybody stand for the reading of the word, that they're in sin. But folks, we need to have a respect for the word of God. We don't worship the word. We worship God, the God of the word, but God has spoken and we know him through the word of God. He has revealed himself through the word of the living God. They had a respect. They stood because when God's word is read, God is speaking. The word of God is the words of God. Notice the people's response in verse 6. When Ezra blessed the Lord, excuse me, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra gives this benediction. He blessed the Lord, the great God. Lord is Yahweh, the eternal self existing one. That's what Yahweh. We sang this morning, Alleluia. It's actually, Yah is short for Yahweh. It's praise to Yah, Yahweh. That's what that word, Alleluia, Hallelujah means. Praise to Him. He is the great God. Yahweh is the great God a phrase used in the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh. Not like the gods of the pagan nations, not like the gods of those that surround the nation of Israel, these false gods. This was the great God, the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, therefore the children of Israel. Notice how the people responded, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Verily, or truly, truly, let it be so, let it be so, while lifting their hands. And they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Lifting their hands was a gesture of prayer, of supplication, of seeking God, of dependence upon him. While today it's an association, it's associated, I should say, with singing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. In scriptures, it's associated with prayer. They bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And you know what? When we get into the word of God, when it's read, when we understand it, 
it should bring us to that place of worship for who God is. Folks, he is worthy of our worship. Oh, that we might worship him with all our hearts. It's not about taking in knowledge. It's not putting something in my head. It's knowing the God that created me, the God that's worthy of my worship. Because the word of God is not an end in itself. God has spoken that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Notice what I call expository preaching in verses 7 and 8. Also, Jeshua and Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echab, Shabitha, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kelaita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, uh, Piaiah, the Levites. Explain the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense that they understood the reading. Now, there's two words used here, one in verse 7 and one in verse 8. Two elements of teaching. It says the Levites, first of all, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They explained. They gave exposition. And that's what expositional preaching is. It's bringing out the meaning. It's a difference between what we call exegesis and eisegesis. Exit is to get out of. We want to exegete the scripture. We want to get out of it what it really says. If we eisegete it, we begin with a concept and then we make the scripture fit what we want it to say. We never want to do that. We want to exegete it and exposit it, explain it, so that people have an understanding. The point is that we might have an understanding so that we might know him. But it also uses the word in verse 8, it says translating to give the sense that they understood the reading. That word translate in the Hebrew means to break up. And it could be referring to rightly dividing, but I actually think translate, here's a good translation of it. Because the people had grown up in Persia. Many of these people had been born in Persia. They would have spoken Aramaic. And almost surely it would involve translating the Hebrew text. But regardless of the meaning, the point was that people understand the word of God. Notice Ezra declares the day to be holy, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, actually all of them here, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. The response of the people were to mourn and weep. That's not a wrong response. The word of God should bring us, even as believers, to repentance. Repentance is not just something that happens associated with faith when we're born again. 
it's an ongoing thing. Just like faith is ongoing. Repentance is ongoing. The word of God had made them aware of God's holiness and therefore aware of their own sin. Because the word of God is like a mirror, according to James. It reveals who we really are. You know, we're so busy often. It's so easy to compare ourselves one with another and think to myself, well, I'm better than that person. I must be okay. But what a difference. When we look into the mirror of the word of God, it reveals the true me. It reveals my sin, my depravity, my need for Christ, my need for him. It renders me helpless and hopeless. But this day had been set apart to celebrate and worship God. Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites declared the day is holy to the Lord. Holy, set apart. It's not that they just declared the day holy because of what was happening that day. That day had already been declared holy. Set apart to the Lord. Because this was the first day of Tishrei. God had already declared that this day was to be holy to the Lord. This day was the Feast of Trumpets. Leviticus chapter 23, 23 through 25. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. This was no ordinary day. This was the Feast of Trumpets. The word trumpets means in the Hebrew a shout or a blowing. The Jews call it Rosh Hashanah, literally beginning of the year. And that didn't begin until the 1500s. But it actually began historically 10 days of repentance in preparation for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This feast was a reminder that God had come on Mount Sinai with a trumpet blast. God had revealed himself to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. This event, more than any other, a lot of scholars say, set Israel apart from all other nations. God had given his standard, his laws to his people. But we also believe this feast, the first day of the seventh month, pointed ahead to the second coming of Christ. And we see that concept in a number of New Testament passages, including 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It points us ahead to the second coming of Christ. Christ came. He was born into this world and he took our sins upon himself. But he's coming again for his children. 
Notice the joy of the Lord in verses 10 through 12. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to them who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The Jews were not wrong to repent. The law of God reveals our sinfulness. It's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. But this day in particular was a day that they were commanded to celebrate. Not only was it a day that reminded Jews that they were set apart, it also came at the end of the harvest. So it was a time of thanksgiving for the bountiful harvest, for God's provisions. And that's what we see in these three verses where they were to eat and drink and then share with those that didn't have enough. It was a time of celebration. God had provided. Verse 12 says, All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions and celebrate a great festival. Notice the next day of this Hebrew month. Verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers. Fathers' households of all the people. The priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might give insight or gain insight into the words of the law. The heads of their homes, the fathers, were gathered with the priests, Levites, and Ezra for further instructions. See, it's the husband, the father, that's given that responsibility above all else to teach the family, to teach the word. The husband is the head of the wife and the family. That's the word of God. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It matters what God says. He created us. He knows us. And it's not some authoritarian thing. It's accepting the roles that God has given for men and women and doing it as unto the Lord. The law is a reminder of an upcoming event, another feast, the last feast of the year. In the Hebrew calendar, verse 18, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Nehemiah is referring here, it's actually a number of Old Testament passages in Deut Deuteronomy, but also Leviticus, also chapter 23, just as we had looked at that chapter earlier. Verse 33 through 36, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month, that's Tishrei, is the feast of booths, tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious 
works. This was the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, also called the Feast of the Ingathering, the Feast to the Lord. It came on the 15th day of the month. It went from Saturday or Sabbath to Sabbath. It actually starts Friday night at sunset and goes Friday night, but then they would celebrate the Sabbath on the eighth day in conjunction with it. The Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, also by the Jews called the Feast. The Sabbath, but they called it the Feast. It's the one that they loved the most. It was a time when the harvest was in. A time when they remembered the 40 years that they lived in tents in the wilderness where they could look up and see the stars at night and see the sun during the day. After God delivered them from the bondage of the Egyptians, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in tents, in booths. It also looked ahead and pictured the Messiah who would tabernacle among his people, taking on human flesh, living in a strange land, and then indwelling every believer. During this feast, the Jews called the temple the house of outpouring. Interesting. Every day a procession would walk from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. They would carry a golden pitcher and they would dip up water out of the pool, carry it back through the water gate and make a circle around the great altar. The priest would hold up his hand to silence the people and pour the water at the base of the altar. On the last day of the feast, they would recite the great Al-Yel, which is Psalm 115 through 118. They would chant the closing portions back and forth between the priest and the people. Bind this sacrifice with cords to the altar. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, we beseech you, O Lord. Save now. Many scholars believe this is the very day and the time in John chapter 7. When the water was poured out and the people were silent, that Jesus lifted up his voice, if any man thirst, let, he come, let him come to me and drink. Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So preparation began. We're on day number two of Tishrei, and preparation begins. Verse 15, 16, and 17. So they proclaimed the circulation. They, they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all the cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the hills, bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of every leafy tree to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and the square of the gate of Ephraim, the entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day, and there was great rejoicing. So a proclamation, actually a written 
proclamation went out to prepare. This was on the second day of Tishrei. The Feast of Tabernacles would begin on the Sabbath, the 15th. They had 13 days to prepare. It's not mentioned in the book of Nehemiah here, but the 10th day was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The preparation mentioned here was for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Now, verse 17b, it says, The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, and there was great rejoicing. Now, let me suggest that it's not saying that they had not celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles since the time of Joshua, because we know from 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 7, and Ezra chapter 3, verse 4, that they had. And I looked at this in the Hebrew, and I'm certainly not an expert in Hebrew, but I found it actually hard to translate. And so I looked at translations, and my understanding of the Hebrew, I think there's some other translations that have it better. So I have that verse, or that part of verse 17, from the Brian Study Bible, and it's also, I think, correctly translated in the NIV. Berean Study Bible says, From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and there was great rejoicing. They had celebrated it, but it had not come from their hearts. They hadn't really celebrated and worshipped God. That was the distinction here. After years of exile and difficulties, they were now together in their homeland. They were secure. God had kept his promises to bring them back. And now they celebrated and worshiped God. And they hadn't done that since the days of Joshua. And then the last verse, the law of God read daily, verse 18. He read from the book of the law of God daily, just as Leviticus 23 told them to, from the first day to the last, and they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. So the Feast of Booths was a time to learn more from the law of Moses. It reminded them of their time in the wilderness, living in tents, seeing the light and the stars through the roofs as they looked through all those branches. It was a time for seven days that they remembered the time in which they did not have permanent homes. The eighth day was the Sabbath, just as the first one was. And it was celebrated according to the ordinance. Now, there are people today that want to make the Sabbath applicable to us. And historically, there's people that tried to make Sunday the Christian Sabbath. But listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Folks, there is a rest for the people of God, but it's in Christ. 
that day only pictured the rest that's in Jesus Christ. There's a rest for those who in repentance believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Many go through this life carrying the burden of sin. Seeking to find peace and finding it not. Working to atone for their own sins. But finding no forgiveness and no rest. In the old covenant, God gave a law that people could not keep. He instituted sacrifices through a priestly system that did not take away sin. He gave judges that sometimes said, do that which is right in your own eyes. But that did not work. He gave men kings like the other nations, and that failed. He gave prophets to the kings, but people killed them. These systems were only shadows of the real thing to come. These shadows cause people to say, we need a better law, a better law keeper. We need a better Sabbath rest, a better sacrifice, a better priest, a better prophet, a better king. But these things only pictured. Folks, we have one that kept the law in our place. We have a rest in Jesus Christ for those that believe on him. We have a sacrifice that really took away sin. We have a priest, an eternal priest, that intercedes to this very day after the order of Melchizedek. We have a prophet. We have an eternal king that will reign, who reigns today and will reign forever. See, all these Old Testament truths, these systems, these shadows were only pictures of the real thing that would come. That real thing, that real one has come. Are we trusting in him with all our hearts? All these things are fulfilled in the new covenant. Jesus said this, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray.